You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partners, Brian Siegler, Jonathan Talley, and Shelton Moss. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is brought to you by Dr. Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy, your friendly neighborhood pharmacy located at 301 South Main Street in Blacksburg. Also, letting everybody know, don't forget Rowdy for Robbie. That is continuing this week. going to be back in lot one, back at spot 164 again. Game day, don't quite have the time yet. I would assume probably sometime between 10 and 11, but definitely check that out. Uh, Also at Main Street Pharmacy, you can purchase there. They are $7 at the pharmacy, only Venmo on game day in lot one, cash and Venmo accepted. Gentlemen, how are we doing on this wonderful winning Tuesday? I tell you, recording a pod after a win is a whole lot more fun, man. Everything's more fun. Waking up, going to work, seeing your kids, seeing your wife after a win. So much better. <laughs> Just got a whole better attitude towards the world. Yeah, it, feels good. it feels good to watch a competent football team, that's for sure. It does feel good to watch a competent football team. And that was a good thing on Saturday night as the Hokies win 36-19. Excuse me, 36-17. Over ODU, we've got a lot to talk about. We are going to unlock that game in a new segment this year to the podcast. But before we jump on that, and then before we actually get to know the enemy, Purdue, we're going to just have a couple talk about a couple news and notes that have broken over the last week since we last talked. And it came out Friday, um, but they did not do the Friday end of day dump. They actually did it early in the morning. The expansion vote for the ACC. Finally passed. Stanford, SMU, and Cal are now finally members. Just real quick, Shelton, what's your initial take on this? Yeah, I mean, obviously they had to get one of the votes to flip in order to make this move happen. That turned out to be NC State, who kind of bucked with uh, away from UNC and making that decision. You know, it's a, it's an interesting move. Obviously, you add you know two schools with good Olympic sports in uh, in Cal and Stanford. And then obviously SMU, who I think has a burgeoning program, lots of uh, big money in that program with their boosters. Overall, I don't know if it does a ton for the league. Uh, we'll see how it all plays out. I think it's worth like a, you know, kind of a plan C move because they just, you know, they didn't really have the uh, offseason they wanted to relative to the Big 12 and the SEC. 
So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it, really. Um, I think it's just um, it's just kind of the way the summer's been gone. I guess they wanted to just, you know, add someone, um, bring some type of juice to the league. But, uh, but yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a thing where I'm like, yeah, this is super exciting. It just kind of it's kind of is what it is. Tally? A couple of different things, I guess. Uh, number one, if you're going to grab them, why not grab? Uh, why not just go ahead and grab, you know, Oregon State and – Think Washington State, you're already grabbing the other two. Grab them. Let them have somewhere to go to. Oregon State's actually ranked right now. They got DJU out there. Hey, we need all the eyes we can on the ACC right now, if that's what we're going to do. Um, I thought it was a little bit um, – I don't know how, like, how they're going to go and what they're going to do. As far as, like, the SMU thing, they're saying they're going to use, I guess, their campus or places that they have there as a meeting ground – for some of the sports and things like that. I guess that makes sense why they would bring them in, but still kind of, eh, you know, don't know much about what we're doing, but, hey, it looks like they're not getting paid for a while. So if we can yeah. just make money off them being here for a little bit, shoot, let's do it. Why not? We uh, we rounded up all the Olympic sports and going to Jerry World. and <laughs> Why not? Uh, that seems like what the plan is, but, I mean – to me, from a big picture standpoint for the ACC, this is a tread water move. This is a, uh, we had to do something. And like Sheldon said, this was a uh, number C on the uh, the choices there. Um, you know, we talked about it a lot. Like this is probably two years late on making a move for expansion. Uh, they probably should have circled the wagons when, um, Texas and Oklahoma jump ships. They, they started. They should have started having some conversations. Then they waited. Then you lose USC and UCLA to the big, and then you know you still didn't make a move after that. So this is what happens when you drag your feet. Uh, you end up kind of getting the, the the scraps, if you will. Um, they're they're pretty solid scraps in terms of you know what they bring to the table for sports that aren't football, especially looking at the uh, the West Coast teams. But all this does is really kind of bring us back even with the Big 12 in terms of financials. And I don't think that's a long-term sustainable goal because it's, you're, you're going to lose probably one to three of the bigger name uh, schools in your conference at some point in the next 10 years, right? So it's just a tread water move to me. Um, we'll see if, if they can make some other moves between now and then but it's it, it like it looks like it's something that's not really going to come to fruition um it's just going to keep the acc alive after some of these big dogs kind of leave the conference at some point in the next 10 years yeah that was the bigger pieces is right now including notre dame they're at 18 teams and if we've been keep hearing there's five or six teams that want to leave if it's effectively kept above 12 espn can't terminate the contract so now they're at that position where they can't terminate the contract. Tally, you mentioned they ain't getting paid for a long time. SMU is getting nothing for seven plus years. Nothing. Just happy to be here. They just happy to be here. But as we know, if you ain't ever seen Pony XS, that's a lunatic bunch down there. I am sure their boosters are going to be stroking some massive freaking checks. And if you ain't seen Pony XS, probably one of the best 30 for 30s ever made. Go yeah. check that out. Definitely top five. Definitely, Definitely top yeah, five. Way up there. Also, Stanford I'm Cal. Watch that again tonight. Go watch that again tonight. Well, you got I'm work to do. So, I mean, why not? No matter. I got to do something. 
Stanford and Cal taking significantly reduced payouts. I think they're only taking 30% up front again. So the money effectively is going into the current conference there. You know, there's talk about how many times you're going to go cross country and things like that. The ACC is picking up, obviously, slime slot games. Why the ESPN wanted to make the move. But this is such a reactionary move. Because if you take a look at all the programs that were left out there, especially once Oakland Tech, Oklahoma and Texas decided to leave, you could have got a potential cream of the crop in the middle of the country and then some solid West Coast teams. Instead, they stuck around, nose in the air. Now, we don't need to do that. And the next thing you know, Conference Out West died. The ACC is likely next on the chopping block. Wouldn't shock me. Brian, you say 10 years. Somebody's just going to take a risk and try to get out of the GOR. Somebody's just going to take that risk. Watch. And as somebody stated a couple times, state of Florida is crazy enough. They might be able to go to court and get it completely dissolved. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, some breaking news that we had heard for a while there. Um, uh, it's um, Nick Gallo's out for the year, which sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hate that for him. Yeah, six-year senior. Um, so Brian, I'll lead back to you on this. That leaves Benji Gosnell, Daquan Wright, and HSG as your tight ends. What do you think? Um, they're going to miss the leadership in that room for sure. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing that I think is going to be hurt here. I think from a, just an overall talent perspective, the, the two guys behind him, um, are, are very good, very reliable from that standpoint, but it's something to be said for a guy that's seen it all, um, was in the system last year, um, took the majority of the snaps last year. Uh, you can't really replace that type of um, experience, especially when the other two guys, you know, one didn't get a single snap last year because of injury and the other was um, in a reduced role um, as a true freshman and playing mostly um, kind of a joker type role in the offense. So um, that's something that we're going to have to look at, but, you know, sucks for him, man. I mean, that's that's a big blow. And, you know, he came back to, to try to have a, you know, a better year this year and unfortunately doesn't get to, to really be a part of it um, as we move forward. But, you know, we got Gosnell, um, looked really good um, in in the game against ODU. Um, we saw right he had a couple drops, also came back, made a couple plays in the passing game. So, I mean, we got some ability there. Um, I think from a blocking perspective – Benji showed out pretty good, kind of in the same ballpark with uh, with with Gallo, and from that perspective. So we'll see if he can kind of continue to hone that skill. But definitely a, a big blow from a leadership perspective. Yeah, definitely. You don't never want to, you know, discount somebody being hurt in the time they put into the to the program. So you know, definitely prayers going out to Nick Gallo. Uh, I think they, he's a captain captain this year, so I'm sure he'll still be around the team. Still, you know be able to provide that leadership even though he's not on the field. Uh, but I will say with the guys that we do have in now, um, although we're young, but we're young in a lot of places, seems like we say that a lot, uh, the tight ends that we have are kind of a different mold than him. If you go back and look through like uh, Virginia Tech history of tight ends, uh, Gallo reminded me of like a Ryan Mallett, um, yeah. the tight ends that we have now. Benji's kind of close to Nick, but he's a little bit more athletic. So mm-hmm. I don't want to go quite um, a Bucky type tight end for him. He's just himself. Uh, but when you look at like Daquan Wright, he's going to be flanked out wide a lot. 
more like Bucky was. So I think for the offense, it's going to give them some more flexibility of things they can do. Um, but we just got to figure out as far as when we're wanting to block those zones and when we're wanting to, you know, have that two set tight end close, um, who's going to be able to block and who's going to go and put a body in front of somebody. So um, definitely not, you know, not feeling good about Nick being out, but I think that the pieces that we have, uh, we have some, some variation there. So. You got anything on this one, Sheldon? I know uh, this is, this is worse as we've heard for a couple weeks about his knee and obviously, you know, you don't want to scream it out until, you know, it's confirmed. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't, for Gallo, I wasn't a huge fan of him as a blocker. You know, he didn't grade out very well. Obviously, the leadership experience is important and the, the veteran leadership and all that stuff um, is important because, you know, you're talking about Gosnell and, and Daquan Wright, who are pretty pretty young players. So um, we'll see how that, all that plays out. I mean, the one thing I thought was interesting, I'm trying to pull up the, um, the snap count from the Old Dominion game as we speak, um, if I can get it. But, um, you know, Daquan Wright actually didn't play very much against um, – against Old Dominion, and he had a couple. He had at least a one drop that I saw, maybe two. So I don't know what's going on with him, honestly. I think guys know I like his, you know, physicality. I like his, um, just his motor and his athleticism. I think he's going to be a big piece. We'll see what happens with Wright. Maybe he has a yips, sophomore slump. I don't know, but uh, he just he didn't look quite right in that first game. So I think it's going to be guys now for the yeah. time being. Yeah, I know Wright's been battling some injuries. I don't know exactly what injuries he's been battling, but. Uh, we've heard about him battling injuries and missing practices and things like that. Um, I mean, it may be a little bit down the line, but I'm also going to be excited to see uh, Zeke Wimbush, see what they can get out of him. Um, he was very dynamic in high school. Just I think he played against Highland Springs in one game, and he was, if not the best player on the field, he was he was close to it. He was a dynamic player. And that was a lot of good players on that field. So, um I'd like to see what he does at tight end. Maybe about a year away, he may get a little bit of time this year, but I'd like to see what he's got. Yeah, yeah I mean, I know the staff feels good about him, so it's just going to be a matter of getting him into the rotation at some point as we go along through the season to get him some meaningful uh, plays and snaps this season. Um, hopefully, maybe to main, maintain that red shirt and carry that on to the next year and have him uh, kind of take a next step. It is one of those things that, since it likely happened in the preseason, something that we have been preparing for, adjusting to, versus three, four games in, if Gallo had been doing a good job of solidly blocking, not blocking it out of the uh, water, catching some passes, then you have to really adjust quickly. Where you saw, we saw Daquan, you did mention, he did drop a pass, but he did catch a nice little little dig route up in the middle Mm -hmm. of the field for a first down. We saw Benji on that seam route. Brian screamed to me as we were watching it. It's the play from the spring game right there up the seam, which yep. was awesome to see. All right, real quick, Tally saw a comment that somebody made out here, and he wants to address it. So this is going to be Tally space time before we get into uh, what we want to talk about. So I'm going to pull it up here. Tally, I'm going to let you read it. It's from one of our listeners, Cuctus. So go ahead. Yeah, he was in here early, man. He was in here early putting stuff in. So – just wanted to address I seen because again, thank y'all, everybody who's listening. We we definitely appreciate y'all. Like, follow, share, all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he says here is he said, Hey, what's up, fellas? Virginia Tech really drives me crazy. 
Uh, I'm going to be honest, Pry has the personality and mannerisms to be a tech coach, but he just doesn't understand running a Power 5 program. Our players small. All of the whole statement, you can say what you want, but that last piece where it says our players small, if you think our players are small now because of Pry, where have you been the last 10 years, four years, five years? We were running out five foot ten defensive ends. Uh, no disrespect to any of those guys that we had, but we are much bigger than we were in the past. I'm not yeah. saying that this team is going to be anything. I don't know what we're going to be, what we're not going to be. I just wanted to address the our players are small. I've been screaming this for years, uh, and one thing, so I pay attention to that. So I wanted to bring that up uh, with our players being small. Some of it's just what we have. Some of it's we're going to have to get in the weight room, but some of it is just if you go look at the players that they're recruiting, linebackers, DNs, defensive tackles, they are safeties are much bigger than they have been in the past. So I think Prize got that going in the right direction with the players being small thing. Uh, and then another thing, some of our players that played uh, are freshmen. Like they are, this is their first, they're just now getting on campus for the most part. So uh, they're not even to their peak for where they will be. So I think the progress that he's making is good and um, I hope we continue to move forward. It's going to be a big week so we can see what we got good tests for us. Absolutely, we are. And we'll say good evening to LeVar. Says good night, good evening. And, yep, it is a work in progress. And it has to be given some time because mm-hmm. you can't expect a coach to come right in and what he's given immediately make six-foot guys turn into six-foot-three guys and 220-pound guys to be 260-pound guys. Right. It doesn't happen overnight. So I definitely get that. All right, so told you all we got a new segment, and we're going to be doing this after every game. And it's something our buddy Coach Robbie Compton and his team sits down and does every Monday. And what they, what we call it is, we're going to call it, is Tell the Truth Tuesday. So tell the truth. And what we're going to be looking for, we're going to be talking about what went well in the game, what went bad, what is something that we did not prepare for. And I'm going to just put that on two things. We as fans didn't prepare to see it and where we feel like, our coaching staff didn't prepare to see it. And then finally, what can we do better moving forward? So you're going, we're going to do this every Tuesday. And by all means, if you've got something that went well, as we're talking about it, bad, not prepared for, or what we got to do better moving forward, put it in the chat. We'd love to hear from you, but let's start with what went well. And me and Brian sitting on the couch, sipping some whiskey on Saturday night. We actually had an identity on offense. Um, Say what you want to say. We had an identity on offense, and the first thing I'll say I noticed was, is that the same Tyler Bowen in the booth? Because those play calls did not look the same as last year. What do y'all think? I mean, yeah, it's a lot lot more uh, zone heavy in the running game, but uh, from a passing game perspective, we weren't as hesitant to throw over the middle of the field, intermediate routes, um, there was, you know, a little more RPO mixed in there than what we saw last year. So it's kind of, kind of what we expected, what we've talked about a lot. But it's nice to see some of that play out, actually in a live game and not just hypothetically and not just in a scrimmage that you watched uh, or or a spring game. So uh, good seeing the offense kind of take those steps forward and, you know, looks like we we can sling it around a little bit. So uh, th- those playmakers are helping. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely glad that Allie Jennings, man, golly. I <laughs> I mean, he's just explosive, man. Um, besides being on the field, if you watch like the post game stuff, like if you've seen how many of his family he had there, yeah, that's why you recruit people to come to. That's why you want Virginia players to be at Virginia Tech. Like, I don't know how many tickets oh, his crazy family had. The network after the game. He had yeah. like 40 people up there. Yeah, man. And it's like, if they can fill a section by themselves, man, it's going to be easy to sell the games out. But <laughs> uh, talking about play calling, like you said, we did have an identity. No matter if we liked the identity or not, if you was watching the game, there was an identity there. Uh, I wish they would have got away from it sometimes myself because – we were missing stuff or, you know, we just didn't find the holes, If the didn't find the open receiver if he was there, different things like that. But besides that, I mean, we've seen, we seen two quarterbacks play. May not have been as much or as little as some people like, but, you know, they talked about it and we've seen both quarterbacks get in the game. So uh, I was very, you know, enthused by what I see. Um, when, you're, when it's going on, you're sitting on pins and needles, but – you know, at the end of the game, 36-17 game, I said 14 points. We win by 19. I'll take it. I will take it all day and tomorrow. <laughs> we covered. Sheldon, what about you, man? What do you feel about the play calling? And I'm, I'm sure there's other things that you always talk about you saw more of. Yeah, I thought the, I thought the, the passing concepts were fantastic. I mean, they got the ball in space out to the perimeter. They got wells on some rollouts um, where, you know, tech uh, playmakers could make plays. I thought the route combers were good. I love that you mentioned that um, that fake screen pass uh, that seemed right up the middle with uh, Gosnell was fantastic. Um, and they actually they used the screen passes earlier in the game to set, to set up a play like that. So when you talk about you know situational play calling, you want to use plays to set up plays later in the game. They did that. I thought they um, had good route combos. They uh, they ran option routes that attacked the leverage of the defensive backs, um, like that first touchdown pass at Jennings, where I think he ran a corner route to the back corner of the end zone. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And I just, I thought it was really good. I mean, the, the passing team was good. Like you said, they went over the middle, which um, uh, Bowen's predecessor certainly did not do any of. Um, I thought it was really good overall. Yeah. Uh, any. <laughs> any, any. And it was, it was multiple concepts. You call crossers, you called, you saw some drags. You saw, again, that right dig to the middle of the field. That is very awkward to see a, a tight end get up the seam and then just stop, come back. Grant Wells almost took the uh, umpire's head off. Yeah, y'all didn't see, like that dude. By the way, quick reaction time for that umpire to get out of the way. Yeah, he did. Um, but something else I want to say, and there's a couple comments in here. We'll throw them up in just a second about what went well. Give Grant Wells due. He was not perfect, and, and when he came out, he was jacked to the sky. Somebody helped that boy calm down in the first quarter of a game because he had, the, he had the crazy eyes, man. He had the crazy eyes, and he was missing, just missing. And I go back and look, if he's not as amp, Tune's probably a touchdown. We probably get another first down. The game might have been really more indicative of how it looked. But Tally, give give your man some props. Because Tally yeah, said everybody, yeah, everybody knows, man. I'm very critical of any quarterback, but definitely Grant Wells, because I've watched him. Uh, but when when I just said no turnovers, man. I said no unforced turnovers and he didn't have any None. you know he protected the ball the line protected him i don't think they had a sack you know as bad as people talk about our line is and 
we didn't do this and we didn't we didn't give up a sack. Well, ODU wasn't good. I don't fucking care if we play in the school of the blind. If they ain't <laughs> the quarterback, then that's good. They had no sacks, he had no touch, I mean no turnovers, had no interceptions. Hey, I'm good. And like I said, it's a victory because last year was not a victory. And yeah. we had four interceptions. So that's progress to me. I'll take it. Yeah, right. good, good point by Cobbs here, talking about minimizing penalties and winning the turnover battle. We didn't do that a whole lot last year. No um, we had, and usually we'd either have one, the other, or both. And we had both against uh, ODU last year, where we had a bunch of penalties, we had a bunch of turnovers. Completely flip, flip the the, uh, the script on that this year. So excited to see that, um, and just I think overall seeing. Grant finally settle in um, and, and and have – he put three three good quarters together. That, that yeah. first quarter, a little shaky. I think sometimes you – know, I think even, you know, the drone swap in there kind of threw his, yeah. his rhythm off a little bit too. So Yeah, it seemed a little forced to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that. But mm-hmm. as far as, like, what went well, I mean, you said it pass pro was good. Um, Grant had a really good pocket most of the night. Um, yeah. Is that the and, best pocket he's ever had as a coach's QB? I mean, you, you yeah. Game yes. Statistically, yeah. yes. Yeah. Statistically, yes. From what, from what we've been watching, yes. Statistically, allowed, yes. Go ahead. They allowed two quarterback hurries the entire game. Damn. Uh, fewest since Duke in 2021. And he dropped back, what, like 37 30 times? 30 times, yep. Yeah. 30 times, yeah. So that's like, I mean, I don't know what one to one. That's like 8%. That's so nothing. That's, yeah, that's you pretty tell good. me eight percent all would, season. Would, we don't win football games. I would advise everybody who is a Hokie fan, who is like me, very critical of everything that goes on on the team. When you get some free time, go back and rewatch the games and watch the lines because I know it's so hard because the cameras go on where the ball is. But if you can just watch the line and go back and watch last year's line, even if you just go watch ODU, just go watch the ODU game. That game for this game. It, it is, it's different, you know. We can talk about, well, it's just ODU. Well, it was just ODU last year, and we lost. So, great job by the line just to protect the man. Great job by the fans, man. The fans wow. got two points in there. You know, y'all yelling and screaming and jumping, had him snapping the ball 50 feet over his fucking head. So, I asked the hey, question on Twitter, like, maybe a week before the season of who would score the first points. Yeah. And nobody said fans. <laughs> nobody, that was who scored the first points, the fans. As it was loud in there, man. It was loud. And I tell you what, one reason it continued to stay loud was not only scoring points, moving the ball. We talked about it last week. Go hit the quarterback. Brian, we put pressure on them all night. And, and Sheldon, I'll let you start pulling the data. But Brian, just watching just the, the line all night push. Yeah, I mean, talk about APR, man. He was coming off the edge hot every snap. Every time there was a drop back, he was coming off the edge hot. Uh, Five sacks compared to one last year. Uh, Four other tackles for loss. I mean, that's that's solid across the board. Um, You know, APR, good start to his potential uh, 10-sack campaign this year. In the 10, Uh, baby. Already a two. Yeah, already a two. Already a two. Um, That's that's a a good start game one. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think the, the pressure, we've got a pass rush now. Having a pass rush makes the rest of the defense a lot easier. So if we if we can keep that up against uh, as the competition you know slowly ratchets up as we go through September here, uh, it's going to be interesting to see if we can maintain that. But uh, good start out the gate. What about yeah. your BMF tally? First second of you, uh, uh, Burgos. You know, yeah. You looking around, man, and you see people around the quarterback. Just get there. You know, you see, you see, we had a couple of different people getting to the quarterback. And Burgos is a young guy. I think he's a sophomore. You know, he is uh, – shoot, he's, he's come in and stole some stole some playing time. He's starting. You know, I would have never said Burgos was going to be the starter. And he goes in. He's got the first sack of the year. I think uh, Panay got him a sack. Uh, uh-huh. C.J. McCray comes off the bench. He gets a sack. Yeah. Like, games like that just build some confidence, you know, and it makes the other team have to game plan. That's a couple of things that we didn't have in the past years. We didn't have people game planning for certain linemen. We didn't have people game planning for more than one offensive playmaker. So excited about that. 100%. And and you saw it all night. It was all areas of the line that were creating the pressure. And it was when the backups came in. Like you said, McCray got a sack. Panay got a sack. Uh, Sheldon, were you able to pull up anything about how much pressures we got throughout the night versus ODU? Yes, I'm trying to – yeah, yeah, so I got it here. So we had 16 total pressures, which includes five sacks and 11 quarterback hurries. Good. So I don't know – And they only dropped back like 25 times? Probably something like that, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, APR was just a stud. And, like, he – I mean, he can do the bull rush. I mean, he'll just he'll just dominate you. So I'm really I'm really excited about him. Um, and CJ McCray, I I thought he was gonna play more than he did. He only played a um, handful of snaps. Probably only got like six. I was, yeah, I was looking at that too, Sheldon. That threw me off a little bit because I mean he looks good when he gets in. So I I don't know. I'm a I don't know about that. I think he may be one of those uh, light players. You know, lights light. turn on and he 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 shows up. Yep. And so if the the numbers Shelton just gave. They dropped back 25 times. That's a 64% that we were getting hurries and then finishing on 30% of those. Mm -hmm. If you tell me those are the numbers all year, write it down. I wouldn't back away from that because that's some crazy numbers. And I know they're going, their things are going to level out, but just that start. Tally and Brian, I'm going to let y'all just talk about this before we go to, unfortunately, we got to say did what didn't go well. How much confidence do y'all think now those young players have and those guys who didn't experience, you know, wins last year? First time we've scored 30 points since, oh, God. It's and been we was, well over two years. If you got on Twitter, people was pissed. We was all pissed. Everybody was on there, oh, he should have scored more. Oh, this is – we look horrible. Oh, such and such is better. Every game is related to Virginia Tech. In hokey Twitter's eyes, I understand. We gotta take a breath, man. If we get a win, if we get a loss, I'm gonna be on that edge with you. But if we get a win and we win by one point, three scores. I, I we won by slow, three scores. Tally. I gotta slow myself down, man, because I again I go back and I'm, y'all are gonna get tired of me saying it, but this is what I think. You lose by a lot, then you lose by a little. You win by a little, then you win by a lot. If this is the year that we're winning by a little, and we start off. With a 19-point win, I'll take it. 
I will take it. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you. I think this is a, a good start for the confidence of this young team, which, I mean, they are young in a lot of places that matter. Um, you know, offensive line, linebacker, secondary. You know, we're, we're young in a lot of places, uh, but we've got talent to go with that this year, whereas yeah. last year it was mostly just just a lot of youth and yeah. and, 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 and or, or six-year guys that – didn't see the field a ton those previous five years. So um, it's good to kind of flip that around a little bit and get some confidence early because I feel like we can kind of carry that momentum here into Purdue, get get home again the very next week. Um, If you can start stacking a couple there together, that'll give you some confidence as you head on the road uh, back-to-back weeks against uh, Rutgers and Marshall um, and and hopefully carry through September and have 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 a good September and, you know, finish been a long time it'd be nice to finish four and one or five or five and oh in september but you know i I don't want to get ahead of myself let's let's look at purdue first but carrying that confidence into purdue is important yes it is now let's just be real not everything was sunshine and roses saturday night we know it and we'll talk about it and this is where we go to tell the truth tuesday what went bad and i think you know and y'all can we've already hit on this a little bit. That first quarter was kind of shaky, getting the cobwebs mm-hmm. off and getting the rust off. Um, I think what was more important though is what happened in the second quarter. They did shake it off. So it was bad you started slow. I don't think we can start slow in the next three weeks, especially in set. the next three weeks. We cannot have the slow start like that, um, or we will be playing from behind. But as much as that was something. Brian, I know you watched the tape and you were screaming all night about linebacker fits and, and containment. So the floor is yours. Yeah, um backside contain was not very good. We ended up letting uh quarterbacks sneak out, get leaky in the backfield. We had a couple uh runs that were cutbacks. One in particular was cut all the way across the field. Yeah. All the way across the whole damn field, uh, they were they were trying to set up a double pass. Next thing you know, they still got the first down on the other side of the field. Um, you got you got to make sure when you're pursuing that you're pursuing with contained leverage, because eventually that's going to come and bite you in the ass. Um, and linebacker fits, you know, some of that had to do with ODU that that ultra spread. They had those stacked receivers in that ultra spread. They had everybody kind of outside the numbers. Um, that spreads you out. We, I don't think we did a good job of adjusting to that quick enough. But the the fits in general were were inconsistent. Um, I think we had we had you know, guys kind of not where they needed to be on a handful of plays. We saw guys start to over pursue uh, once the running back had some kind of a couple gasher runs. They started over keying on the running back over pursuing the play and that set up some big runs for the quarterback. So got to clean that up, but definitely a fixable thing, but uh, definitely one of the, from a defensive standpoint, the kind of the biggest uh, blemish to take away from ODU. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah we had some like uh, pretty much like you said, uh, Brian's talking about the, the linebacker fits and things like that. It's even on some of those plays where we got pressure on the quarterback, he escaped and, you know, made a run out of it and, you know, may have got a first down or got seven, eight yards. Um, we got to do a better job of when we're fitting those holes, you know, keeping that outside arm free so we can be in those running lanes to 
try to slow them down or rip the ball out of something. And I think a lot of new people at new places um, are just going to have to learn that on the fly. You know, it sucks that that's what college, that's what football is, but um, we got to, we got to do a better job of when we do get pressure and pressures all around that quarterback, we definitely don't need him to burst out of there and get 10 yards. So, Fitting and containing and things like that, we got to do a much better job at because that, that wasn't good. Sheldon, hit, hit us up real quick. What were the linebackers? Do you have the linebackers' grades up there? I do, yes. Um, basically, just to give you the skinny, uh, Lawson was pretty bad, Keller was pretty bad. Uh, trying to look around here, um, for guys who got at least a handful of steps, Tisdale was okay, but he was not great on uh, in the run fits. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of was. And then CJ McCray was a little bit better, but he didn't didn't play very much. Um, and then Will Johnson, they had him a little bit better, which I thought was surprising because I I thought he made a couple, uh, or, uh, poor fits there as well. So yeah. And especially with the run defense, it was not great. So, but that's, I mean, that's kind of what we saw last year too. Like these guys are still growing. So you figure at at some point, hopefully they can, you know, kind of, uh, stop making those mental mistakes. Yep, and I think a big part of it now um, that you say that is now all those guys, because that really was the first time that those guys were working together as a unit, right? It's on tape. Yeah. It's on tape. You can sit down. I do have a feeling Coach Pry is going to be going into that room quite a few times this week, have some Mm -hmm. conversations with people about what's been going on. A couple other things we definitely talked about, you know, not being the best – and again, what are some defensive coaching adjustments? It felt like, especially on those runs, it took us about three quarters to finally decide, um, okay, we're going to adjust to this. Now, when we made the adjustment, them moving the ball was over pretty yeah. much for the remainder of the game. Yeah. But, but, Brian, this is Chris Moss' first time. W- what do you think? Do you think this was just trying to go to the well one too many times, or was it – trying to get enough data to decide, okay, we've got to adjust now. So I'm going to take a little bit of a hedge here. I think Marv saw that he had lost a key piece of his secondary and knew the youth that was behind that and didn't want to shift to what he needed to shift to, which is running a lot more man uh, outside and committing a a couple more players into the box to keep the the holes a little bit less leaky and make being able to get to those fits a little bit easier. Um, But I think he was a little bit of hesitant going to that. Like I said, you had had Stroman out. Once he was out on that uh, end of the first half, maybe he was a little bit hesitant of going to that um, on a consistent basis. Um, that's when they had, you know, some success in the running game there. So once he finally made the adjustment and, you know, the clock was kind of against them and they had to go in more passing, I mean, we can just shut it down after that. So uh, if you can get there a little bit quicker, that'd be nice. And like I said, I don't know if the, the reason is because of those uh, issues with targeting um, or, or if it had something else to do with just, you know, not wanting to lean on the, uh, the younger guys as quick. And some of it too was, um, I think Pry hit on it in the, like the, um, halftime press or halftime little, um, you know, interview or whatever that he had when he talked about, you know, that we were sending pressure. And when you're sending pressure, you're leaving some part of the field open, you know, whether it's for them to run a draw or them to run a pop pass or something. And he was like, hey, I mean, we're sending a lot of pressure. We might, I'm going to have to talk to him about, you know, holding up a little bit. So 
that's I think that's Marv just trying to he was trying to make something happen. And uh great job of getting pressure to the quarterback when we got it. But every now and then we need somebody to stay there and spy. We need to, you know, drop back in coverage and things like that. So um he's young and he's learning. So I think like you said, Pride's gonna he's probably popping his head in that room a lot this week, uh, especially with who we're playing and what's coming up that we'll talk about. Yep. And I'm gonna hit the great cat up here because he mentions they are an experience and it did show. But there was some athleticism there because as as many as many gashes as we got, you know, no one ever broke anything over 30 yards. Mm-hmm. And there were only three explosive runs over 20 plus yards. So, you know, again, it's on tape now. And uh, one last piece of the bad we got to talk about. Brian wanted five yards of carry. I did not. Sheldon, get hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Sheldon, Shelton's our dad. got Shelton. Did we get five yards of carry? Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> no. Okay. You could, double it. you could double it, and we barely would get it. <laughs> so Brian, brother was bad. Um, just, just tell me what you saw, and uh, I know. Are we going to do the tape now, or is this going to be later? Uh, we we can uh, do the tape. Got a few um, clips here, and Brian's going to do some explanation because Brian, were we getting shoved back in our laps? For the most part, no. Okay, I mean, we we were we were at least getting some stalemates, some decent push, I would say, on the uh, on the front there. Um, you know, the problem was we weren't getting to the second level worth of damn, um, mm-hmm. and. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but against that three-man front, that odd front, especially if it's a stacked front, that can be problematic. So, you know, we can look at a couple here. Uh, we'll say thank you to Shelton for getting these pulled for us so we can take a look. All righty, here we go. First clip. Uh, there was one of the times. Yeah, I'm just going to let it run first, and then we can kind of run it back here. So, I mean, just you know, inside zone here. Um we, but we got two problems. Both of those inside linebackers there are going to get in the backfield. Um, you got Benji up there, up at the top with Parker. Uh, a little slow getting hip to hip here. Means Parker's a little late coming off. You got a linebacker in the backfield. Getting, right getting a little hit place. on the running back. But let's move inside a little bit more. We got Schick and we got Caden Moore at the uh, right guard in the center. Um Bob Schick does not do a good job of trying to take over this nose here. Um, he didn't use his eyes looking at that backer. Um, comes off a little too quick. That backer's up in there on the play side A, and he's trying to come over the top. He should have pushed Caden off here. Caden should have been picking up that that backer there. So both those backers kind of get a free run at the at the running back here, make a little tackle for loss. Fortunately, only one of a what a, what a couple. Tackles for loss in the game here, but that one was pretty ugly. Two guys, not really, really two sets of combo blocks, not really going off and getting to the second level the way you want to see them. Yeah, and that linebacker, I think it was forty-two. He's good. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. he's a good, he's a good linebacker. You got to put a hat on him. Yeah, and I think this is just guys not not communicating and not using their eyes. Um, something that that should get better with time, but. Not, not a good effort on this play in particular. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll go ahead and run the second one here. Mm, somebody would have just got that guy. <laughs> was that the middle linebacker? 
Well, you at least get you, you'll get a solid five yard gain here if uh, if we're watching Bob Schick here. He's he's going to have a combo on the uh, the defensive end down here at the bottom and this backer here. Um, but he he takes his own step, but he gets his shoulders uh, turned too much. He doesn't keep them parallel enough with the line of scrimmage, so he kind of loses this backer. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he'd have kept his shoulders a little more square, gave his little uh, little right hand punch, but he kept his eyes on the backer, he'd be able to see where that guy's going. He wouldn't miss getting that wall because if you get that wall and seal on the linebacker here. That's at least a solid five-yard gain. There's going to be some contact right this level here, um, and you'll you'll end up getting, like I said, a solid five, six yards at least. If you break a tackle, you might end up getting a few more. So, yeah, he's, um, looking, he's looking third level before he goes second. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I get it. He, he, he clears here. He doesn't see anybody. He's finding, he's finding the next guy to hit. That, I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, but he lost the linebacker that, that should have been the guy he's sealing off. Good deal. Thanks, Siegler, for breaking that tape down. Hopefully some of those things can get corrected before uh, next – or for this Saturday, excuse me. We'll get into that in just a few seconds. I'm, I'm hoping Bob Schick is not a weekly punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm hoping the quarterback pull a couple of those too if he sees the day in there. There you go. All right, so the third thing we're going to always talk is what happened that we were not prepared for. And we wrote just two things down on this. I think the first, and Brian's already mentioned it, was the RPO middle rushes from that stack ultra spread. I don't think anybody saw that happening. Honest to God, don't. If somebody had that outlined out there, please send us the article where somebody said it out loud. I don't think anybody saw that. Nobody watched enough Fordham tape, apparently. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think they did that often at Fordham, though. No, they didn't. They didn't. And then the other one would be the linebacker combination because, Sheldon, you just mentioned it there a few minutes ago. Will Johnson actually had a significant amount of snaps. And and then just kind of looking at it, it wasn't always like Mike Will. Because there is at one point in time, it was him and Lawson on the field at the same time. Which one of those two things were more surprising or y'all didn't expect, uh, Sheldon, of those two? Um, I'll defer to Brian here because I think he uh... – would have better insight on this. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, to me it would be the linebacker combinations. I think the you expected probably a, a, a new wrinkle from ODU. I mean, they're playing an in-state rival, a, a, technically a level up in terms of Power Five versus G Five. You knew they're going to pull out <laughs> something to mess with us schematically because they probably can't match up talent for talent at this point. Um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So you kind of expected some sort of wrinkle there. Um, I think the linebacker combinations were interesting just because we saw Will in the two deep. You know, we didn't know, you know, there was talk of McDonald being the two deep. There's a lot of different combinations, but Will being up there was kind of surprising uh, when we looked at the depth chart for week one and him getting that much run. Um, And especially with the combinations, like you said, with uh, Lawson out there with, with him sometimes, um, you know, we had Keller um, and, and Tisdale on the field at some time. So there was, they, they mix and match a lot. There, there wasn't necessarily a defined uh, Mike and Will um, in, in terms of that TV. They, they definitely rotated guys kind of across the board there in a, in a more interchangeable fashion than I think we anticipated. So, 
it'll be interesting to see if that's something that carries over, if that's just something they were playing around with against ODU as they kind of feel feel out what they want their final rotation to be. Callie, what about you? I just didn't think the quarterback was going to rush for more yards than he passed for. Or close to it. Touche. You know, getting breaking out and getting these runs and some of them design runs. So that RPO was a little bit I didn't expect it, you know. No. As, as much as the as much as the seeing the different people at uh linebacker was a little I don't want to say alarming, but I just didn't know it was gonna happen. I definitely didn't expect, you know, their quarterback to be um on the run as much as he was and making stuff make plays, but um Thank the Lord that we made enough plays because mm-hmm. I don't know what we've been practicing, but everybody was raking at the ball. So when we got a chance, we was getting that ball out of there. Yes, we did. Two forced fumbles, one interception, and they were putting the head on the ball for those two fumbles, which is great to see. But three again, forced fumbles. Huh? Three forced fumbles. We got on two. Oh, okay. Three, three forced fumbles. Well, f- well, four if you count the bad snap, because that's considered a forced fumble in the – We'll take that one, too. We'll take that one, too. All right, real quick, y'all. Last piece we do is what can we do better moving forward. We're going to be kind of short and sweet with these. Me, straight up, Grant Wells has to keep the ball on RPOs. Yeah. Tally pointed it out a couple times. If he keeps a couple RPOs – and, again, we don't expect 20 yards. We don't expect 15 yards. Get three, get four. Make them be accountable for you. Brian, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to go with the offensive line here. Got to get to the second level. Got to be able to maintain um, those combos. Keep your eyes where they need to be and communicate uh, across the board because I think that that's something that was missing a little bit. Um, There was a couple times where guys should have pushed a guy off and didn't a couple times where they were trying to get to the second level uh, too quick or – not at all. So there's there's just got to be better communication and better um, consistency in those combo blocks. Tally? Quicker coaching adjustments. Um, that first quarter, we was all in hell, purgatory, whatever you want to call it. And then the second quarter, as soon as it starts, Lane catches a touchdown pass, and everybody breathes a little bit. What was that play? We were waiting on that. Let's get that a little bit earlier. That's all I'm going to say for now. 100%. And Shelton? Yeah, so I would say offensive line communication in conjunction with play selection. Vaishal Tutin forced 10 missed tackles against ODU. He had less than three yards per carry. That's not acceptable. He is doing everything he can to try to break that first level, and he can't do it. In conjunction with that, I also think the play selection was a little bit odd. Virginia Tech was very run-heavy on first down, but if you look at the numbers, they they had 20 uh, first down runs. Only three of them were successful, so that's like 15%. I would prefer to see us pass the ball more on first down because I just don't think running is going to get the job done. All righty. Yes or no answer. Was this the best performance under Brent Pry? I think you got to go with yes. I mean, I think you got to go yes. Yes? Sheldon? Yes. Yes. I'm going to say yes, but it's not a enthusiastic yes because (laughs) I'll say this relative to our talent level now compared to last year and relative to ODU's talent level compared to a Liberty last year, I think there's some arguments that could be made that that was a better win, 
but I think this is this is a win that gives us, I think, more confidence um, because it is a season opener, and I think we did more things all around well um, to win that game. But like I said, relative to the talent levels on both sides of the squad, you can make an argument for Liberty. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go yes as well. But again, not 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 as enthusiastic I think as the rest of the guys here. Brian is following. Brian is not following instructions. He's not so. following instructions. <laughs> I'm going to say yes, that this is as well. And I'm not going to get into anything else. Real quick, Tally, you mentioned it earlier, but y'all, one of the coolest things was watching ACC Network, seeing Ali Jennings' family up there and him kind of talking about running through that tunnel. And we, we, Tally, you mentioned it and we mm-hmm. all know about it. That's the kind of kid you want to bring there oh, yeah. because they want to be there. They're going to play hard. And he balled out. Damn near had three touchdowns, yeah. led the team in receptions with six for 172 and two touchdowns. That was unbelievable to me. Um, you know, that's just something you don't see every day. And uh, I think, you know, he's already on a roll to get a thousand yards this season. Hopefully he keeps it up versus Purdue. All right, before we get to know the enemy Purdue, we are going to take a quick commercial pause from our digital partners and Main Street Pharmacy. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. I can probably save you a lot of money, and I can take a lot better care of you. That's pretty much it. My name is Jeremy Counts, and I'm a pharmacist. I own and operate Main Street Pharmacy here in downtown Blacksburg. My brother's a pharmacist, I'm a pharmacist, my uncle's a pharmacist, my dad's a pharmacist. I remember he would give me M&Ms to count in little pill counters. This is something I've always done, and I'm just lucky that what I know so well is something that I can do and feel good about it and give back to people. Pharmacies are your frontline defense. Pharmacy's job is to make sure you're getting optimal care for the lowest price possible. Also, we take the pressure off of emergency rooms. I'll tell people immediately when they need to go to the doctor or I'll tell them if they just need a cream over the counter. If there's something that isn't commercially available, if it's something that's not available in a certain strength or a certain form or anything like that, we'll make it. Tailor-made medications. Some of those options save people a lot of money. What motivates me? I get to take care of people in Lumen Blacksburg. That's all I need. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All righty, and we are back, and we are going to get to know the enemy, Purdue, a game all four of us will be in attendance for Brian, myself, and Tally heading down Friday night. Shelton joining us on Saturday. Can't wait to be back in the bird for this game. But let's talk about Purdue. We're going to talk about the offense first. Talking about this scheme. It's a Graham Harrell air raid attack. So, Brian, give me a little uh, insight. Give the uh, fans a little insight on what we're going to see from Purdue Saturday scheme-wise. Oh, yeah, you already said it. We got the Graham Harrell air raid. We saw it last year against West Virginia. We're seeing it again this year with Purdue. Um, Like we talked about last year, it's a slightly more vertical version of the air raid. 
Um, don't run the ball much uh, or, or really effectively, at least the, what we've seen in the first game so far. Um, but they'll occasionally hit a chunk play. Um, and they like to mix in some RPO comp concepts uh, in the in the, uh, the air raid attack here too. So you'll see some RPO concepts mixed in there. Um, but again, it's a typical air raid. They're going to hit you with a lot of short stuff, a lot of crossers, um, get guys in space and let their athletes kind of make some big plays after the catch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, first, I guess the first athlete we will talk about is uh, Dion Burks. He's a wide receiver. Uh, just giving a little bit of a backstory on him or a little bit of information on him. It's uh, listed at about 5'11", 175. Uh, as a recruit, uh, he was a uh, 88 on 247, uh, 86 composite uh, ranking, so about a mid-three-star uh, three star uh, level recruit. Uh, last week, he had four receptions for 152 yards. He had two touchdowns. I think his longest was 84 yards. So take it away, Brian. What you think about this guy? Yeah, I mean, he's a game breaker if he gets loose in the secondary. He's, he's a guy that you want to make sure doesn't have a whole lot of open space and that you bring him down on first contact. Um, you know, really good against Fresno, but you know, most of that yardage came with that one big play. Uh, there mm -hmm. was three missed tackles, so he, he can break some tackles there as well. So, um, not a that's huge something, guy, not a big, not, not, not a, really a huge guy, guy, but shifty, um, mm -hmm. you know, gets away from stuff, keeps his legs churning. So, um, he's a guy that we got to get to the ground as soon as he makes the catch. Um, and they like to isolate him in man looks as well, so they can kind of get him, um, matched up especially in the red zone that's what they like to do is get him in those man looks where he's isolated on one side of the field and kind of just cook a little bit against uh man on man coverage Sheldon, you got anything on him yes he had six forced missed tackles against fresno state which for a guy with only a four reception in the year is pretty insane <laughs> biggest thing biggest thing with burks average depth of target 17 yards so he's very oh. much their their deep ball guy um, he's going to be running a lot of deep routes, so I have to make sure you're you're playing uh, playing some tight man coverage. Yep, uh, Tally, you mentioned the 84. His second longest was a 44 yarder. Yeah. So he did a lot of damage in two plays there, right. and delivering him that damage was Hudson Card. And Hudson Card, the Texas transfer, six three two ten, out of Austin, Texas, transferred over. This guy was a pretty high prospect when he came out just a few years ago. You know, class of 2020, he was a top 60 player, the number two dual quarter, dual threat quarterback in the country, um, 97 composite, 95 on 247. And just kind of taking a look at his track record, you know, at Texas, he played in 12 games where, you know, threw for just at – excuse me, he played in 12 games last year at Texas – where he threw just under 1,000 yards, six touchdowns, one TD. Against Fresno, solid game, 17 for 30, 254 and two touchdowns. Um, Brian, what are, we, what are we seeing from Hudson Card here? You know, we, we talked about the Graham Harrell uh, offense here. You know, almost kind of read what seemed like is in terms of like high school rating and stuff like that, a mirror of what, you know, JT Daniels was coming out of, out of high school with. But uh, – Card with a little bit more success, I feel like in the in the limited time there, um, he's an accurate thrower of the football. Uh, doesn't take a ton of risk with the football. I mean that's inherent of the air raid anyway, but um, he's not going to put it in harm's way very often. 
Um, he will use his legs if given a lane, but he's not generally looking to take off. He's looking to kind of get those three steppers, uh, get the guys in space, and then get a good matchup with Deion Burks uh, down the field when he when he wants to take a shot. Um, you know, but like most quarterbacks, he can get rattled uh, when when pressure consistently, especially if it's coming up in his face. There, like I said, he doesn't really move too much in the pocket there. So if we can get some pressure on him up the middle, I think we can get him a little rattled there. But uh, you know, solid quarterback, and like I said, really accurate, which you know you kind of expect of an air raid type quarterback. Anything standing out statistical wise, data wise, Shelton for Hudson, or is it just he is what he is? Yeah, he kind of is what he is. I mean, last year at Texas, um, PFF grade around 70, which is a little bit above average. Um, he was around 92nd of 163 qualified quarterbacks. So nothing too special. I will say he did face uh, pressure on 30% of his dropbacks last year. So offensive line is not doing a ton of favors, obviously, which we'll, we'll get into you know soon. All righty. Who we got next, Tally? So we talked about uh, Hudson Card running just a little bit and not wanting to run a lot. Last week he had 29, uh, 29 yards on six carries, uh, 13. Um, his, his long was about 13. So his running back is Devin Mockleby. He is he, – or he was a low three-star, two-star recruit uh, out of Boonville, Indiana. He's about six foot tall, 200 pounds. Uh, his only offer out of high school was Navy, and he walked on at uh, Purdue. Uh, now he is starting at uh, running back. I think he is a sophomore. Uh, last week, he had 16 carries for 60 yards. His long was 20 yards. He had one touchdown. So that is going to be Hudson Card's uh, guy that he's going to be wanting to hand the ball to to run. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you said he's a sophomore, redshirt sophomore, former walk-on. Uh, had a good year last year, 900 yards. Um, didn't didn't start start the year as a starter. Had an injury, got pushed into duty, and, and held up really well. Um, obviously struggled out the gate a little bit in this new system. Um, you know, they had a weak uh, and banged up offensive line, so you know that kind of is what it is. Um, that that could carry over this week. We'll see. They had a. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the offensive line, but they had a center that was kind of rotating in and out and uh, all this. So they, they struggled. He had that one good play, that one good chunk play of 20 yards. Um, didn't really hit on a whole lot after that. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that at six foot 200, he's a hard guy to bring down. Got to make sure you're wrapping. Um, and he can break off some chunk plays, but he's not a home run hitter. He's not going to hit those like big long ones like uh, a Banacanda or anybody like that. So I don't ever call that name on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to see that, but he, he still is the guy that can get to the second level and kind of make a couple guys miss and uh, things like that. But he's, he's not going to be a home run threat. Yeah. That's kind of what I saw too, in my statistical analysis. Um, look at the numbers here. You know, he doesn't force a ton of missed tackles, but the thing I did notice, he's a big pass catching running back last year. Mm. He had, 274 yards as a receiver so you know got to be aware of that maybe some swing passes depending on you know kind of how they how they do it but um definitely a big threat in the pass catching game all right we'll definitely take note of that he well, caught three passes last week too three what, what, passes what, what, for 16 yards again that's that's a little check down but again you have to think back you have to think about him right you yeah. 16 that's not a great number but you look what he did last year it's clearly proven success that he can be a positive gainer in that type of in that part of the offense so 
you know, getting Jenkins in the flats and, you know, uh, the Sear Peoples and the safeties and stuff have to be accredited or have to be accounted for in that. Because to be honest, taking a look at their offensive line, Shelton was dropping grades on me a little while ago, and their best offensive lineman, which was Marcus Embo, Embo spelled M B O W. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, somebody tell me a 6'5, 305 offensive lineman out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in Wata, Watusa East High School. At 247, he was a three-star. A lot of offers, though. A lot of offers all over the country, places like Arizona, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan State. Even our neighbors to the west of me and Brian here, UVA, made his offer. And he roughly was about an 86, one of the top ten players in Wisconsin. And he graded out. Let me go look at it here. Shelton dropped this just a few minutes ago to me at a 70.5 as their right tackle. That was about all they had to write home about when it came to the offensive line. Because when Brian, when you broke their stuff down, not only as we were watching it here, but as you watched a little extra tape, not great, Bob. Yeah, I mean, they struggled to establish the run against Fresno. They really couldn't get anything going. Um, you know, like we said, Mockaby hit that one chunk play. I think there was a, one other good run um, by their other running back that got them in the end zone one time. But after that, there wasn't really a whole lot to write home about in the running game. Um, they didn't give up any sacks, but they had a ton of pressures. Um, made it really hard for Carr to truly settle settle in and cook against that Fresno State defense. Um, definitely the biggest weakness on the team. Um, and they played multiple centers, like I was alluding to earlier, um, against Fresno. I think they had three centers play in that game. So um, that's something to keep an eye on because rotating three centers is not an ideal scenario to have. No. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, but to be honest, let's talk about Fresno just a second here. Fresno did return eight of their 11 starters on the defensive side of the ball. Now, what they were missing, and I think this has jumped out to me as I was doing the research, they were missing their leading sack uh, sack creator last year um, who got drafted by Pittsburgh. So, to me, I hear that, yes, you return a lot of starters, but when a primary edge guy is gone and they're still causing that much havoc, still being able to stop that offense in some way, there is definitely some holes within the Graham Harrell air raid offense. All right, we're going to flip over to the defensive side of the ball and get to know you. Brian, let's talk about Ryan Walters, obviously, at Illinois. He had that defense humming for a couple years. What are we taking a look at with Mr. Walters' defense? Yeah, you're looking at a base 3-4. Um, the, you know, they will go into a nickel package. That's going to be the 3-3-5 stack like we saw a little bit of against ODU. Um, but their base is going to be a 3-4. Um, you know, we talked about it already. Odd fronts are going to be harder to run inside zone against, so we're going to get a little bit more of that this week. Hopefully we can make some adjustments and handle that a little bit better. Uh, and they will occasionally play um, with the alignment of their linebackers. Um, so... In particular, the guy we're about to talk about here in a little bit. <laughs> well, and that linebacker he is talking about is Kydrain Jenkins. He is the outside linebacker, six foot one, two hundred sixty pound, out of Louisville, Georgia, at Jefferson County High School. Kydrain was a low, low three star, eighty four, the one hundred thirty fifth player in the state of Georgia back in the class of twenty twenty. And believe it or not, his only Division One offer was Purdue. A lot of G5 offers. And to tell you the truth, 
kind of has already hit off the bat in his first two seasons. Playing, obviously, you can say see that playing sparsely in 26 games in his first two seasons, 67 total tackles, 16 tackles for loss, nine sacks, along with a couple pass deflections and a forced fumble. And he started off good against Fresno State last week, Brian. Six total tackles, one sack, an additional tackle for loss. He is, I think, you'll you'll put it in words here. I think he is probably their best defender. Yeah, he's a he's a pretty elite pass rusher. Um, you know, he he'll get after the quarterback really well. Um, he's not overly impactful in space or in coverage. Uh, they don't deploy him in that very often. He is primarily a pass rushing edge defender. Um, but he holds up, holds up well in backside containment in the run game, so he's not necessarily a weakness in the run game. He's just not great in space or in coverage. Um, but his pass rush is, is, is solid across the board. Um, he's going to – they'll play with his alignment. They'll, they'll kind of send him inside, keep him on the edge, um, kind of mix and match him in there with, depending on whether they go with that stack in the nickel or whether they're running out of the 3-4 the, uh, the base. So um, he's going to be on the field and getting after the, the passer regardless. Anything on him, Shelton? Were you able to dig up? Um, yeah. Which which one we're talking about? We are talking about Kydron uh, Jenkins, the outside linebacker. Mister Jenkins. Uh, no, I don't have anything on Jenkins. I will say though, with regards to their linebacking core, um, their MLB OC brothers had a forty grade from PFF last year, Ooh. which was the fourth worst among all Power Five linebackers. So when you look at the linebacking core as a whole, the defense as a whole. It was not great. They got some young players in there, some guys that, you know, turned to different programs where they didn't really excel. Uh, obviously, as, as we talked about, it's it's a defense that's really a work in progress. All righty. Who's our next one, Tally? We got Markevious. Markevious Brown is a cornerback uh, out of high school. He came from IMG Academy. Mm-hmm. He was a composite four-star that uh, started his career at Ole Miss. He had offers from – Everywhere, Alabama, uh, Arkansas, Auburn, FIU had over 20 offers coming out of high school. Went to um, Ole Miss and has transferred to um, Purdue now. He is a 5'11, 180 pound cornerback. Last week, he had, I think, nine tackles. Mm. He was their second leading tackler. Um, let me make sure I'm telling you that right, Brian. I don't want to lie to you now. <laughs> don't lie to me, Tyler. Don't lie to him. He was the uh, he had nine tackles last week, uh, one tackle for loss. Um, behind another guy that we're going to talk about with Curtis here in just a little bit, but yes, uh, seems to be a pretty good player, Brian. What you got on him? Yeah, he's their best man defender. And you talked about the offers. I believe we were one of those offers in there because um, I, I remember seeing this name a few years back uh, on on our list. So. Um, has good speed, um, not afraid to be a little physical. You can see that by, you know, getting, getting a pretty good tackle count in there. Um, but he can get caught kind of watching the action in the backfield, watching the action, um, that kind of is moving in front of him. So sometimes that can catch him a little bit on the aisle and let a man get behind him. But overall, good, good cornerback, but definitely the best, uh, pure cover guy that they have in the secondary. And uh, I know Sheldon has something he wants to add here as well on the stat side. Yeah. So it was not good for him in coverage against Fresno. He was eight for 12 when targeted for 84 yards and a touchdown. So um, that's kind of a small sample size for his career. He just hasn't really had as many targets as, 
you know, um, as a lot of other guys, but uh, that's a pretty big uh, red flag right there. Well, that does say a lot, but, you know, eight for 12, I mean, you, you take a look at the data points, though. Mikey Keene went 31 for 44. Mikey Keene's Fresno's quarterback. He lit them up for right over 350 yards, four touchdowns and only one pick. So I do think that they have more than one hole in the secondary. And one of the guys we're going to talk about next, which is Dylan Thiemann, um, he was the leading tackler last week at this game. He had 10 total tackles and an interception. Thiemann, if we take a look just at his background, he was a 87 for 247. He was a class of 2023. So this guy is a true freshman out there at approximately six feet tall, 205 pound out of Carmel, Indiana at Westfield High School. Um, so so we talk about Brown struggling. They got a true freshman playing free safety. Um, Brian, what are you seeing from him? And I think we're about to we're, – Shelton just did it with the stats, and we're starting to hear this thing come about their back end. Yeah, I mean, this guy covers ground well. Um, he, he does a good job of getting around and uh, flying around and making plays when he's able to kind of sit back in coverage. Um, he does not do a good job when he's in any, any sort of man responsibility or having to cover in the box. Um, definitely a guy that just wants to be that 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 deep free. Um, and, and I think that may just be the fact that he's a true freshman. And if you put him in that deep free, he can just kind of read and react. Not a whole lot of additional responsibilities. So um, he excels there where what he doesn't excel at is kind of pretty much everything else. Um, But he does tackle well. He he fits up pretty good and gets guys to the ground. Um, But it's just a little suspect in the other areas um, of playing safety right now. Yeah. And um, on him, he had 10 tackles. I don't know if we said that. So between him and Brown, that was 19 tackles, uh, first and second. tackler on the team last week came from your secondary. Uh, one of two things, they're throwing the ball on you a lot or your linebackers and your line are not tackling people. Yeah, and uh, Fresno didn't run the ball very well, so it was the former. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so speaking of uh, line, uh, next guy we'll talk about is their big nose tackle. Um, you got Cole Brevard. He is a, a six-foot-three uh, 333 pound or 335 pound uh, nose guard or nose tackle, excuse me. He is, um, he transferred from Penn State. He had big offers from a lot of places Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame. Um, he transferred there. I was looking, didn't find any stats from last week on him. So he's probably just a big gap filler, um, somebody there to, not let people RP up the middle like ODU was doing against us. So, what you got on him, Brian? Yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. And I'll, I'll say this before we get into the, the specifics of his game. Um, he was one of those guys, you know, the Penn State transfer where everybody on the timeline's like, we got to get this guy. We got to get this guy. He's a pride defensive player. We got to get this guy. Uh, you know, he ended up we at Purdue. Get we, we didn't get him. He ended up at Purdue. Um, he's a two gap nose. I mean, he's, he's in that three, four, um, classic space eater, good motor overall. Um, he will get replaced by, uh, another guy named Joe Anderson when they go to their nickel set, um, who's more of a pass rush specialist. Uh, 
really a defensive end that they kind of just slide into to be a, a pass rushing nose. But um, Cole definitely he, he eats space. Um, he does a good job of kind of taking up two blockers uh, on a lot of plays. So he's somebody that you got to handle. And like we said, we struggled to get to the second level. We're going to have to be better at that this week against this guy. Sheldon, before we kind of close it out here, any additional stats, any additional data points you're seeing on the Purdue defense that we should know about that um, might be helpful to the Hokies going into Saturday? Yeah, so just looking at their team in general and kind of performance. So there's a stat called expected points added or more commonly known as EPA. It's basically like an analytically correct version of yards per play. It just takes into account field position, down, distance, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so EPA, uh, Fresno State finished in the 90th percentile in EPA for games this year against against Purdue. Uh, Purdue not quite as uh, explosive offensively. They did have more yards per play, the Boilermakers did. But the reason that FSC won the game ultimately was because they had a higher success rate, especially on third down. They were 60% on third down. So that's an indication probably that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing well on first and second down. They're getting easy third down opportunities. Um, I would say for those who um, are Virginia Tech fans who look at that result and say, oh, well, Purdue lost to Fresno State. They must not be all that good. Mm-hmm. Let's let's hold up for a second. Stop if Virginia that. Tech, if Virginia Tech were to play Fresno State on a neutral field tomorrow, they would be four-point underdogs is my guess. So that's that's not a game where you can really say, like, yeah, we're going to beat that team. Um, it's going to be a really close matchup. And if, if yeah. Tech and Purdue were to play on a neutral field tomorrow, it would be a toss-up. So right. it's not, you know, you can't look at, you can't really read too much into that game, really. You really can't. And Fresno State was a good team last year. Right. So they're returning yeah. nine guys on defense. They won ten games last year. They, in fact, they won the Mountain West, right? Did I make that up, Sheldon? They won the Mountain um, West. Or did Boise win the Mountain West last year? Boise, no, Boise did. Yes, Fresno won the Mountain West. Yeah. They won the Mountain West last year. So, yeah, they are. They did play a very good team. So what are the Hokies going to have to do to win this game? I'm going to let Brian start us out here. Brian, give us one of the keys to a Hokie victory on Saturday. Yeah, the biggest one is that we've got to settle down quicker. We can't have that one quarter of sleepwalking uh, that we saw against ODU, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, This needs to be more of a – um, game like we saw with Boston College last year at home where we kind of got out there early, made a couple plays on defense, made a couple good plays on offense, get a little bit of a lead, and then kind of put the pressure on them uh, to have to play a little catch-up. I think that's the the recipe for success here. All right. Tally, what do you think? What's the hokey key? Yeah, I'll say, you know, usually I try to be a little bit more conservative, but I'm going to let let your nuts hang, you know? Let your nuts hang Brett Pry, you have wide receivers that I don't think that they can guard. We need to pass to set up the run. Looks like we were running to set up the pass in this pass game. I think, hey, let it fly. Find those receivers early. Spread them out. Take a a page out of ODU's book. Spread it out. Don't have them so close so we can hit some of these running lanes. I think if we do that early in the first quarter, uh, I think we'll put them in in in, in a little bit of a discomfort uh, area fairly quickly. Got it. Sheldon, what about you? For me, the biggest thing is just try to shut down Deion Burks. I think he's by far their biggest playmaker. 
I'm not too concerned about Purdue's run game. I mean, we'll see how it all plays out. But also, you, you just got to get pressure on Hudson Card. I mentioned the pressure stats from, from their game against Fresno. The offensive line has a lot of weak points. So if you get pressure on him, Card really, really struggles uh, throwing uh, from pressure. If you can uh, get to the QB, I think you'll have a you'll have a really good chance of winning. And I think Tech will take advantage of a very uh, shoddy Purdue defense. Yep. I like it. I, I'm with Sheldon. I think you don't let Card find a rhythm. We know how air raid offenses work is when they get in the rhythm where they're popping you on lateral passes, short, quick routes, eventually it opens up up top. And make him move. Make him move. Get him uncomfortable. APR and the crew go out there, make him move. And you, and you said you're not worried about their run game. Make it non-existent. Because an air raid team like this, if they get that little bit of run game going, go back to West Virginia last year. They got that run game going. It wore down us. And then they were able to start popping passes later in the game. So kind of a combination of there of a different number of things we are talking about for some hokey keys. But now it, it is prediction time. Brian is really excited, everybody. He's been working on this all week. Bring up the big board. Not only the prediction for the hokey game, but we also have our big screeners here. Shelby, hey, y'all better read this week. Shit. Y'all better read. <laughs> better read. Listen. listen and read. Listen and read. Callie, Yo, never it's, it, it, it's on the board this time, guys. It's very explicitly it on big the enough. board. That's not big This is that says, against the spread. Against the spread. Do y'all understand how many emails and, 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 and DMs that I got from people so I could not believe even after we won people were still talking about <laughs> they were they were tagging you, you man I can't believe you're the guy that predicted us to lose I was like oh my god Sheldon, Sheldon had people in his DMs over uh oh, yeah. taking UVA to uh not lose by more than 28 uh, yeah that was fun and me and Brian went four and two last week I did horrible I'm scared to even pick that's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. All right, Sheldon, you were not here last week, so you get to lead the Hokey Purdue predictions. What do you have? Uh, it's going to be a close, low-scoring ball game, in my opinion. I like both teams' uh, defenses. Well, I'm more so, I'm a little bit more skeptical of VT's offense. But I've got the Hokies winning 20-17. to 17. They will cover by the hair on their chins. That's just the way I feel. I think it's going to be a low-scoring grudge match, and I think Tech's going to come out on top. All righty. Low score, 2017. Tally, what do you got? I got the Hokies taking this game 35-24. to 24. I think we only – didn't we go over 30 one time last year? Yep. Zero no, times. No, no, zero times. Zero times. Zero times. Zero times. Okay, well, the well, the first two games of the season, we're going over 30, baby. 35-24, Hokie win. B, we all going to be there. Barrington Corner Podcast. As y'all can see, I don't have a hat on this week because I, I wanted my hair to breathe because I'm buying all new hats when I get to Blacksburg. So <laughs> if you're great. watching this, y'all send me places that I can go find cool hats because I'm going to pick up about five to ten new hats. And he's, getting, and he's getting one new one from me. And I already I know about that one. Not wear, huh? I'm, I already know about that one. I'm going to have that one on. I'm going to have that one on next week. There we go. There we go. All right. My turn next, y'all. Um, and I'm kind of with Tally. We're, we're, we're similar scores here. I think the Hokies are going to win this game. And I can see this being a 34-23 game. I think we punch it in just as much as we did last week. I think Pry pulls back on being aggressive inside the 15, kicks a couple extra field goals. And to just be honest, 
why am I looking at a team that scored 35 and saying they're going to score 24? I watched this game with Brian right back here. I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the easy chair. Brian's kicked back on the couch. Effectively, Purdue had two sustained drives to score a touchdown. They ran a kickoff return back. They had the 84-yard bomb tally mentioned earlier. The other 44-yard play to Burks, guess what? That set up a 10-yard run. They had two sustained drives for touchdowns. That's why the Hokies and the defense get it right. Brian, are you as optimistic as we are? Yeah, I'm right on board there. Um, I, I've got the Hokies pulling out a one-score victory here. Uh, I think the offense is going to keep going. I think we're going to pivot a little bit. And as Tally mentioned, let the pass set up the run a little bit, kind of start with the uh, the Dutts hanging out there and leaning on your strength a little bit. Uh, I think our defense does a, a good job of shutting down the run. I think we still do let's, you know, Burks get a little bit of action done, but they're not going to quite do what they did against uh, Fresno. I think we're a little bit better in the secondary than they are. Uh, I got a final score here of 31-24 Hokies. 31-24 Hokies. So there we go. We're all picking the Hokies. We're all on the optimistic train after the ODU game. I hope it holds to fruition. Please. Well, now, even though all of us are going to be in Blacksburg, we still are putting up the big screeners because – Probably we're going to be catching some of these, whether we're sitting at a hotel, friends' houses, maybe the bar after the game. But we've got – and well, one's Apparently on that here. cell service, you can pick up a game in the stadium now. Oh, is it that good now? No. Oh, <laughs> Don't get your hopes up. You, you can get a tweet time. out. You can get a tweet out now. So I guess that's better than, than better what we've been doing with where you couldn't get a text out. So, All right. Well, let's talk about our big screeners here. So the first one here is going to be Mr. Brian's selection. Brian is looking at Tulane versus Ole Miss. This is a 3.30 kick, so one we potentially could catch downtown after the Hokies play. Ole Miss currently seven-and-a-half-point favorites. What you got on this one, Brian? Man, I just like this matchup. I think this is going to be a very intriguing uh, matchup across the board. Um, you know, I like Ole Miss, but I think Tulane is going to have just enough here to make this a really tight one, a little squeaker down the stretch. So I've got Ole Miss winning, but I've got Tulane uh, in the seven and a half there. So I'll put Tulane here on the on the board. And Brian, I'm I'm right with you on that. I think I think this is going to be a highly entertaining game to watch. I think both these offenses can move the ball. I do think Ole Miss sneaks it, probably three to six points. But two lane covers. Tally, what about two schools down your way? Yeah, I'm gonna say Ole Miss is gonna go ahead and take this one. Um Tulane may have a cool mascot. I just don't think they're gonna have enough to win or a cover. All righty. Ole Miss there, Sheldon. Yeah, um, look, Ole Miss uh put up seventy three points against Mercer the other day. Now I understand it's Mercer, FCS, blah blah blah. Uh, but I watch FCS football, so I feel somewhat qualified to say Mercer's a good team. They've got a good defense. And 73 points is 73 points. So give me Ole Miss. I'm taking the points. By the way, one we probably should be looking at on this. Go ahead and put Sheldon's up there. Ole Miss covered. The over-under is only 66 and a half on this game. That just seems criminally low because Tulane yeah. last week dropped 37 um, in their opening game. So there's our bets, but Look at the over under 66 and a half. Yeah. I think we'll probably shoot up to 74 game day. Yeah. All right, let's go out west. 
This is Tally's pick for the week. Team in his home state, Auburn versus Cal. Auburn on the road playing a 10-30 game. Tally's going to be passed out at the hotel trying to watch this. Auburn six-and-a-half point favorites, Tally. What you got? Man, I was a little skeptical about Auburn going all the way across the across the globe over here to go play uh, Cal, our new te- our new uh, ACC mates over there. So I thought this was an intriguing matchup. Um, I was very close to taking Cal, but I'm going to take Auburn in that uh, in that matchup. I know a couple of guys is down there playing in Auburn, and I got to watch them. Um, got to watch that game this weekend. They've got a freshman named Jeremiah Cobb. If you guys haven't seen um, him play, he was a four-star out of uh, Montgomery Catholic. My first cousin is was his high school coach. He is a phenomenal athlete. I think he had uh, maybe about 60 yards and a touchdown in this past weekend. So, Jeremiah Cobb, y'all go check him out. Auburn, I think they're going to take this one. All right. Auburn takes in cover. Sheldon, what you got on this one? Last week, the Pac-12 went undefeated in non-conference play. Now, some people look at that stat and say, well, the Pac-12 must be back. I would look at that stat and say regression to the mean is coming. So with that being said, the uh, analyst in me will take Auburn to uh, uh, give the uh, Pac-12 a little uh, dose of reality. All righty. Go ahead and put Vaughn up there, Brian. <laughs> I'm with them. I just – I know I know that – I heard that stat too. Uh, what was it, Saturday night? Pac-12, 13-0, 14-0 in play. I just, you know, Hugh Freeze coming there. I just don't see that. I think Auburn probably gets slow. Um, <laughs> hold on. Before I finish my statement here, King Leo, Virginia Tech. <laughs> Let me put that one down. I think, I mean, Auburn might Pretty get good. That was pretty, that good. pretty good. Auburn might get to a slow start, but I think eventually the talent will take over, and I think they will easily cover the six and a half. Yeah, I'm right there with you, War Eagle bitches. Um, <laughs> I, I think that you know Cal scored a lot of points against the Mean Green out there with North Texas, but I think that uh, you know Hugh Freeze is going to have a game plan for that. I think there's going to be. A pretty decently high-scoring game, but I think Auburn's going to cover in the end. So, yeah, I'm taking Auburn as well. All righty. All right, we flip down to Waco and Shelton's big screener of the week, although it's going to be going on during the game. So, he we better have good cell service. So, Shelton can watch the game. Little screener. Um, Utah-Baylor, Utah road favorite, seven and a half points. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup. You've got a Baylor team that just uh, saw a blitzkrieg from Texas State the other week. They've got a hot shot offensive coordinator and head coach that uh, put up 42 points. So they were looking for a bounce back season, uh, haven't quite gotten it so far. And then Utah won against Florida with their uh, backup quarterback, Kim Rising, still out with uh, an injury as he's recovering from that uh, that ACL tear. That being said, I think Utah's got a really, a really well-rounded team. They're playing at home. I'll take the Utes to start the season 2-0. and All righty. Tally, what do you got on this one? Yeah, I watched Utah uh, kick Florida's ass all over the field. I'm going to take Utah. I don't got no analytics. I don't got all of Shelton made it sound cool. I'm just going to say Utah because they whooped Florida's ass. They did what Florida's ass. <laughs> Brian? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sticking with our team here. I'm going with Utah. Um, I think Utah is probably one of the eight best teams in the country, especially once they get uh, back to full strength there. 
Um, I like the way that they handled Florida. Um, I was expecting that. You know, I, I picked them last week, but I was expecting a little bit of a of a tighter matchup. They they really handled Florida pretty well. So give me the Utes. We're in agreement again. I'm on Utah on this one as well. Lay the seven and a half. I think the offense of Utah continues to roll. And to be honest, Baylor got 31 against uh, the uh, Texas State last week. I don't think they're seeing 15 this week. 30-17 Utah. All righty. Oh, I'm up next. You're up next. I'm up next. I pulled out the the, – Miami versus Texas A&M, which is a 3.30 kick, which we potentially could watch before we leave Blacksburg on Saturday night, Brian. A little dinner, um, a little tots rail. Drive back three and a half hours. Eh. Mm. Tots rail, tots rail, 10.30. I'm 10, minute, I'm 10 minutes away from the field. So I'm you're good. 10 minutes away from the field. Hey, Sheldon, are you driving back Saturday night or are you staying up? Um, I got to drive back. Oh, okay. You got to drive back as well. So we're all going to have that. We're going to catch dinner together. All right. Miami, Texas A&M, Miami, four-point home dog to the Aggies. I go back to the game last year where Miami probably should have won down Texas A&M, and they didn't. And I don't know. I just don't believe in Jimbo Fisher. I think he's one of the biggest, fakest coaches out there. Yes, I know. I'm just being for real. The guy's one of the fakest coaches out there. I don't know if Miami will win, but I think four is too much to lay to give to Miami. Give me Miami with the points. I have no who's clue is going to actually win the game outright, though. All right. All right. So, we got, got Miami up? up there on the board. Um, you know what? I will shock you all a little bit. I'm going A&M here. Okay. Um, Shout I out think, to Quan. Uh, will be happy. Yeah. I think they uh, – getting getting Connor Wagman in there um, – Good first game, 18 to 23, 236, five touchdowns. I know it was the Lobos, but it looks like the biggest thing that they had problems with last year was quarterback play. If they figured that out, then that could be a somewhat dangerous team. So give me, give me, uh, give me AM here. All righty. Tally, I got to go Miami, man. I got to go Miami. I just think that, uh, you know, the ACC, we have to prove something this year. SEC, you seen what Mac Brown did to Shane Beamer's face? That's what we're doing <laughs> to all SEC uh, opponents all year. Just letting y'all know. The face grab heard around the world. Face squeezing. Mushing your face. Miami. Now, that's just what an old man does to younger kids. I mean, <laughs> Turn your hey, ass hey, Show who you got in I know people are going to say I'm crazy. I think the U is back. They totally <gasps> took – Ohio to the woodshed uh, last Saturday. I know it's a it's a MAC team, but look, that was a dominant win. So I'm taking Miami. I think they're a good football team this year. All righty. We don't. Yes, I don't trust. Right. I don't trust Jimbo either. There you go. See, it's Jimbo. Nobody trusts him. All right. There are two more on the screen here. Uh, one is probably the biggest matchup in the AC with effectively the ACC this weekend: NC State and Notre Dame. Um, and so for this one. Notre Dame, seven and a half point home favorite. By the way, Ole Miss or or oh, Tulane home dog, Cal home dog, Baylor home dog. We got nothing but home dogs here so far. So Shelton, no NC State, Notre Dame. Who is your pick? 
Yeah, I'm taking Notre Dame, but not with the high degree of confidence. I just feel like Sam Hartman, he's a stud, man. I mean, he's just lit up Navy. I know Navy's got some issues, but that was a dominant performance. NC State, I feel like they're the team that just kind of, you know, always falls flat in big games. So I'll take I'll take Notre Dame. Who you got, Tally? Yeah, I'm going to take Notre Dame in this game as well, just like Sheldon said. Uh, I've been watching Sam Hartman for a long time. Kids are stud, man. I just think that they'll – I wasn't too impressed with North Carolina State last week. Again, every week's different, but I'm going to take Notre Dame in this one. I'm with exactly what Tally said right there. Watching NC State play UConn up in Hartford, they did not look good, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think the defense is going to be solid, but y'all just mentioned they have Sam Hartman, they have weapons, they have a better offensive line. And I think seven and a half is – just enough points to take because I think this is like a 10-point game. Probably entertaining thing going on while the Hokies are playing, but I, I can't see NC State uh, keeping quite up with uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, I'll finish this one out and say I'm right there with everybody here. Um, You're and, too and much. Some of the same reasons. Um, Sam Hartman, I think, is going to be one of the Heisman finalists this year. Um, I think he's got Ooh, that level of play with – with uh, with the offensive line play that Notre Dame has, with the weapons that they have, I think he's going to really be in play for that uh, that trip. So, um, give me Notre Dame. Uh, I I think it's going to be about a ten point victory for Notre Dame. All righty, and well, the big one is Saturday night down in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Texas. Game day is obviously going to be there, and it is a big game. I mean, we are college football fans. We're not just sitting here and going to crap on things because that is a big game. It was a big game last year, high noon down at Texas, where that turned into a game that Texas just about got Alabama. Now, in this case, Tuscaloosa, only a seven-point favorite is Alabama, who's coming off a – I mean, it's, it's technically a thrashing, but it took a while to get them going versus Middle Tennessee State. Brian, who are you taking at – in this game with the points. Yeah, I think this is kind of a no-brainer. I think Texas, you know, we saw that slow start. They don't have a dynamic player like B. John Robinson in, anymore. Um, I really think that Alabama is going to take this one over start to finish. Uh, give me Bama. Um, Texas, orange down, baby. Orange down. Penalty. Sportsman-like conduct <laughs> on Siegler, 15 yards. Um, I'm actually right there with you, Brian. Uh, I just don't trust Texas. I don't. And it's not so much their offense. I, I just think they're going to be sort of – I just feel like you talk about Bijan being there last year, and remember they still – it was still more of a 23-20 type game um, down in Austin last year. I just don't trust their defense. I don't, and I know, yes, they won like 37 to 10 last week, but who are they playing? We were talking pieces of that game. Rice? It was Rice, wasn't Rice. it? Rice. 18 Daniels, sixth year, who was supposed to be a great quarterback coming out, is at Rice right now, and they got throttled by Texas. Not a big start, but give me Bama, give me the seven. I think it'll probably be an entertaining game, but I, I can't see Texas winning this one or covering. Tally, tally. Yeah, I got Texas covering, actually, man. I don't know if they will actually win. Um, fuck it. I'm going to say Texas wins a close one. Uh, Alabama is a little bit, you know, they're a little different this year. I know they've got some uh, they've got some injuries on the back end that some of the fans have been talking about. I'm not sure 
of the names. If you go look them up, I'm sure you can find it. They got a couple of injuries there. They got a wide receiver that's been out that uh, they're waiting on. I think he's got a hip, something going on with his hip. Um, and Alabama just – they're always going to be a good team, but I don't think they had a star power that they, they usually have. You know, they're breaking in a new quarterback, and he didn't have to do shit for real last week because they were playing <laughs> Middle Tennessee State. I think just with Texas having uh, athletes that can be on the field against them, it's going to be a little bit of a different look. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to Texas. I'm going to say Texas wins a close one. Texas wins a close one. Sheldon closes out with our big screener here. Brian put tallies up. Yeah, yeah, hard to bet, hard to bet against Nick Saban. I mean, I actually think Texas was a good team last year that got really unlucky. You know, the Alabama game was a perfect example. Like they had a few unlucky breaks. They were at home though. They had the wind at their back and lost uh, a close game. I just can't go against Nick Saban at home. I feel like this is the type of the game where you know Alabama's up by seven late in the third quarter and then they end up winning by twenty four. Uh, that's just <laughs> that's just how I look at it. So um, yeah, I'll take yeah. I'll take Bama and the points. Taking Bama and the points. So, Brian says the graphic he was working with froze up there. Still good. We're agreeing on a lot of things, boys. Um, has anything broken since we fired Twitter or since we've been on here? For well, for me, for me and Brian, Christian Wood is a Laker for two years. Who's Christian Wood? Hey. Christian Wood is a, is a big man that played for uh, the Mavericks, and he's oh. going to be a good backup to bring in. Uh, when we need AD to have a, a little rest. So all my Lakers fans are pretty excited about getting getting him uh, over there with the Lakers. We needed some youth. All right. Real quick, this is not on the rundown, but I just want to get y'all's just gut opinion. Uh, most telling story of the college football weekend, Sheldon. Um, you talking about this upcoming weekend? Or no, 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 week? last weekend. Last weekend, um, just uh, a lot of craziness. I mean – I don't. I think uh, one thing I'd, I'd be interested to see is like, do we have a truly elite team this year? Because Georgia, they didn't always look great against UT Martin. Um, right. You know, true, Bama man. had Bama had some struggles. Um, I just don't know if there's like a, a like a you know Megatron death slayer, you know, three thousand <laughs> like we had like Georgia last year or Alabama in twenty twenty or Clemson twenty eighteen. I just I don't think you have that truly elite you know championship level team. We're going to find out soon, but I, I think this could be a situation where there might be a little bit more parity at the top uh, in 2023, but we'll, we'll see. Dally, So I'm on, I'm on, uh, um, I'm on, I'm on hit on a couple of things, but I'm going to try to make it quick. Number one, and, uh, I think we've seen the end of Clemson's dynasty or whatever they had going on. I don't think that they will be as elite as they have been in the past, partly because their coach, um, doesn't like to use the transfer portal. And then also, um, I just think that um, with the transfer portal and how college football NIL is today, uh, there's stuff more spread out. You're seeing some some uh, elite talent at other places. Uh, case in point, I'm going to bring up Colorado. I mean, Jesus Christ. Everybody's eyes was glued to that game. Uh, I think some people will put a little bit more stock into it than they probably should. But for Dion to go out there and do what he did, I think they made one last one game last year to have that much hype. He's on every commercial that I've seen. Uh, his boys was playing super hard. They're ranked now. So uh, just the, the first 
week of college football to see Clemson go down and uh, Colorado to win in the fashion that did. Man, college football is back. Siegel? The death of the New Spring Church Mafia. That's what that's what's <laughs> happening this year. That's what's happening this year. We are seeing the uh, the return of Clemsoning. We are we are seeing the return of a team that did not adapt with the times by pure pure hubris by Davo Swinney. I think we're seeing that the chickens are coming home to roost a little bit. This is going to be a rough year for the Clemson Tigers overall. I'm not saying they're going to yes. win like five or six games, but I mean, I, they could easily take three or four losses this year. Easily. Please. Right. I hope they do. All right. Y'all had all your fun with Clemson. I'm going I'm to look on a little bit different. Florida state is for real. They may not be a, <clears throat> I wrote it down here. Megatron death slayer 3000. Yes. That's a phrasing. Oh, that is the phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any dominant team we're going to refer to as that. But I think what they did in the second half to LSU says a lot. LSU is a good team. And I, this is where, you know, Tally, you mentioned the SEC. I swear to God, I, I, I turn on Monday morning. Well, they didn't have their starting defensive tackle. You lost by 24 points. One starting defensive tackle ain't making up 24 points. It might be a two-score game. It ain't going to make up 24 points. So shut your stinking mouths about that. I think FSU is back. I hope, man, we are rolling going into there. In week six, I really do, just because you know you always want to stack. Just make up. it look respectable, man. Just yeah. Again, I don't have it. I already said that's going to be a. Lot. If it's only twenty four points, then just make it know, look we respectable. Play, we played as good as the number five team oh, in the I, country. Oh, oh, man, I want to win. Don't we'll, get me we'll wrong. With, stop, stop! Don't get him going on preseason <laughs> rankings. We'll be here for another thirty minutes. And Sheldon's got an early morning meeting. So, boys, that does wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. Brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Talibans. And I am Shelton Moss. Check our website out, BoundaryCornerBT.com. Listen to all of our episodes. Newly launched merchandise shop, Boundary Corner Store, where my buddy Phil says uh, we might have to make a Coach Pry shirt because he's saying it a lot now. Complimentary football. We play complimentary football. He keeps mentioning it. So we might end up making a – Brent Pry complimentary football shirt. Uh, as always, follow us Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There are a lot of y'all out there watching it. We love you watching it. Subscribe to that channel. We also are on your favorite podcast sources, Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to those as well to automatically get them in your feed. We let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check him out, voiceandlawmusic.com, where he will link up to all of his music on Apple, his YouTube account, his Facebook account. And actually, Jason is going to be hanging out with us on Friday. We are swinging by Roanoke, picking him up, heading down into Blacksburg. We will be out on the town Friday night. Shelton's going to roll into town on Saturday. Hopefully, Shelton, you're going to hang out, have a little dinner before you kick back. We'll all be hanging out in Blacksburg all weekend. We thank you all for listening, especially these last few months. You guys have really been out there crushing those numbers, helping us out. And um, as always, y'all, let's go. Okies. Okies.